everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Brie. And today we have a special guest with us, Cynthia Williams. How are you today? I am good. Good morning. Um, I don't know if it's morning when whoever's listening listens to this, but good morning, evening, or afternoon. <laughs> I am good. Thank you for having me this today. That's great. How has your 2022 been so far? Man, so it's been like really hectic. Um <laughs> Uh, start me and my husband both started new jobs, uh, writing new series, uh, kids in school, like my oldest started high school. It's just been a hectic year. I had COVID like last week. It's just like, what is going on? I I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I feel yeah, like, like years from now, we're going to look back on this time because I have my days like yesterday where it's like, I feel like I've been going nonstop. And then you have those days where it's like, what did I even do today? And I'm like, I feel like one day we'll all be like 60s, 70s talking about this time period. And we're going to be like, I really don't know what we did during that time. Right. We just made I, it work. <laughs> I, I don't know. I watched a lot of K-dramas and I just tuned out the rest of the world. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be my that block of years for me yeah. <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah it's this block of like 2020 to who knows 2025 that it's just gonna be a blur of everything <laughs> exactly like i just survived i got through <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well are you ready to get into some icebreakers sure let's do it let's do it all right if you came with a warning label what would it say oh man so i had to think about that it probably would be um if malfunctioning insert caffeine i had that on a conference <laughs> sticker once and i'm like that is so <laughs> true the one time i tried to give up coffee a couple of days my husband was just like just, just stop just drink coffee please just <laughs> <laughs> It's bad when he's begging you to drink it. Like, please have a cup of coffee. He was like, that's enough. Just, I get it. Just drink it. (laughs) See, I've been like a pep. Well, my granny used to have Pepsi in her house a lot when I was a kid. And then I graduated to Coke. And I've been like a five can of Coke drinker for years. And I'm dwindling down. I'm at like one a day. And it's so weird because like, I don't really crave it now until like the end of the day, which is probably stupid because you're about to go to bed. But (laughs) I just, I just need it still. I need, I need that little quick fix. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. I had to give up my afternoon diet Pepsi. I was like, I'm on caffeine all day. It's like coffee in the morning, diet Pepsi in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Like I need to feel like it's just too much. It's far too easy to drink a whole pot of coffee to yourself, isn't it? Yes. So, so easy. <laughs> Nobody else in the house drinks it. So, I mean, who yeah, else? Yeah. Can't, you can't waste it, you know? You can't right. waste it. <laughs> what is one of the first songs on the soundtrack to your life? Okay. So, I was thinking about the song I sang in um, a pageant. And I'm not a pageant kid. It was just like some We Miss Petite pageant that the church did. <laughs> Whitney Houston's Our Children Are Our Future. It's like the first song I remember singing real loud and singing a lot and just all the time going into it. And then I'm Not Your Superwoman, which I was way too young to be singing that song. But But I've kind of owned that a little bit as I've gotten older because like, I don't want to be a superwoman. Like, I just want to be human. I just want to, you know, say when I'm tired and say when I want to rest. So I think, yeah, you know, the children are our future, but you also don't have to be a superwoman. And I know that doesn't really tie well together, but there you go. (laughs) I think it's perfect. 
Yeah. I think that yeah. works. <laughs> What's one gift you're happy you treated yourself to this year? Um, so I was looking online and well, I was scrolling Instagram and they always get you with ads. And I was about to buy a really expensive kimono and I said, stop, don't be stupid because you don't need one that's really expensive. And But I did go to another site and I bought a really nice, less expensive kimono and a new tiara. And it was kind of like my celebration of, hey, I finished the book. I've gotten a new job. I want to be extra in my house. And so that's a gift that I got myself this year. I'm really excited about. I love that. You deserve to to just splurge on yourself. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All the, all the, all the silly stuff. I want it. (laughs) We love hearing romance origin stories. And I think we saw on your website, like it looks like around 13 is when you picked up the first one. So tell us how you became a romance reader. I think it was because I know they had like the little categories at my library, but I do remember those cards in those Harlequins when I was younger, I wanted mail. And it was like, (laughs) oh, this out. We got more books. That is literally my kids now. Like nothing comes in the mail for me. Right. Yeah. It's such a timeless feeling. Back Uh then, you didn't get anything else. You know, there wasn't social media. You know, I couldn't use a phone. So it's like I wanted mail, and I think I filled out one of those cards. And they didn't know I was probably way too young to get them. But and I just started reading category romance to Harlequins, and then I would go to the library and check them out Um, because we didn't have a bookstore. I grew up in a small town uh, in South Carolina. And we didn't have a bookstore. Most of my books I got from the flea market, which we call the jockey lot. I'm really country. So we would go to the jockey lot and my dad could pay like five bucks and I get a whole bag of books. Wow. And nice. that's kind nice. of how I did it. Started from trying to get mail, getting them from the library and then buying books from the flea market <laughs> and just going wow. through them and reading and reading. Yep. I love that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I complained as a kid that I, I, the dad got all the mail and my dad told me, well, <laughs> when you get all the mail, you're going to hate it. Yeah. Yeah. And he was right. I still enjoy receiving mail. Yeah. I never thought That's about like, it like that, Eric. Fun mail. Like, I don't want the bills. Send me a card. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice package. <laughs> Yes. Now you're making me think about it. Like we have a flea market that's probably like 10 minutes from my house. I think they're open like every Saturday. And I've been over there once and I'm like, now I need to go see if they have books there. I don't know if that's a thing. I need to explore it. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't been to the flea market in a while. And I mean, we were talking at work one day about how that's just still a fun trip. Wow. Peruse the flea markets. I need to check it out. Yeah. That's, that was my thing. That's incredible to think that there have been places and I'm sure that there are still places. I think actually my, my hometown back in Missouri, Missouri now. My sister told me they closed the one bookstore that we had. And I'm like, in 2022? But mm-hmm. I mean, my they're not going to bring in like a Barnes and Noble or anything. Like they're really right. mom and pop own type of places. So I'm like, that is, you'd think at least having that if available. But yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Now, you know why some people do have to buy online, you know? Yeah. They do. I work in a small town now and there's no bookstore there. There's no Walmart. You know, there's just kind of like a Dollar General. So same thing. There's no, you know, bookstore to go and just kind of sit and peruse and all that. So they have to get books other places. We read on your website that you completed your first novel, You Can't Plan Love, in 2010 and sold it to Crimson Romance in 2012. What did your journey to becoming published look like? Um, I always, all right, you know, everybody says this, or most of them say this. I've always wanted to be a writer. And, but it's true. Like I wrote a book when I was in sixth grade or six years old. 
I still have some weird where the Bobcat died book I wrote in fifth grade. Like I've always wanted to write, but you know, life happens. You go to college, you get a degree in biology of all things. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go be sciencey and not um, really write. And I had a boyfriend at the time who kind of was also like, oh, this isn't realistic, blah, blah, blah. So I just kind of shoved all that to the back burner. But when a friend was, you know, she kind of like just made up her mind, hey, I'm going to law school. I'm going to quit my job. Me and my family are moving up here to Ohio and I'm going to start. And I was like, if she can stop everything and go to law school, I can do this writing thing that I've wanted to do since I was little. Let me at least finish a book. I think I was listening to some radio program and somebody, a writer was on it and they basically said what we always tell aspiring writers, just finish a book, just write it. And so that's what I did. I took this book, which I'll admit now was kind of like a revision of a book I hand wrote in high school. (laughs) I still have that handwritten 300 page draft of that first book and it's completely different, but it was kind of like started with that same idea. I said, I'm going to finish this book. And I did. And then I was like, I don't know what to do with it. I didn't know if I wanted it to be traditionally published. Self-publishing was just starting off, but my kids were really young then. They were like one and newborn, you know, or two and newborn. They were really little. And I was like, I don't know if I have the energy to like figure out self-publishing. And Crimson started and they were the like digital only ebooks. And it seemed to me like a happy middle ground to find one of these ebook publishers So someone else could do the editing and someone else can figure out the cover and they can tell me what I need to do to fix it, to make the book better. And then I don't have to do all of the production and putting it out there. And Crimson was really great. I did seven books with them. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, I submitted to several different um, ebook publishers, got some rejections, got some offers. And then through research, I just liked Crimson. I liked the editors who were there. I still keep in contact either through social media. And one of the former editors, um, I followed her. She she was working somewhere else. And then she emailed last night that she's going to another place. And I, I still keep up with some of them because they were just great. And they really helped me, I think, kind of grow from that very first book to the last books I wrote for them. So I was I was very happy working there or writing for them and putting those books out. And so that's just kind of kind of how it started. I don't have a, a horror story like some authors have. I, I have rejections, but I don't have like it plaster, enough to plaster the wall. The few that I have did hurt. I'm not trying to downplay that, but you know, I, I don't have like the story of years of rejection. I, I realized how fortunate I am that I did find a, a home for my books when I first started. Yeah. And I'm very um, grateful for that um, happening. Um, so yeah, and that's just kind of kind of how I started. It was it's all, and that's just kind of how I do stuff. I'm always kind of like, I kind of want to do this. Let me see if it'll work, and then I do it, and then it either works out or it doesn't. So yeah, fortunately. Well, I think that's awesome because everybody's journey is going to look different, and yours is inspiring because it's like, hey, you know, yeah, I've heard no's, but it wasn't that difficult for me, and I think that's inspiring for people too. You know, so thank yeah, you for hearing that. It was it was it was. I didn't think I would be 20 some odd books later. I honestly did not expect to still be writing. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was going to be like, oh, I'll publish a book and people will forget about me and I'll move on with my life. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been a great journey. Well, can I, I want to insert a question here. So this is like 2010, 2012, it did, digital first. 
how did Crimson help people know you had a book out there? I mean, this is before Instagram and TikTok and all of that. So how were you all marketing your books at that time? So they were like, they were pumping out books. I, I forgot how many they were doing either per week or per month or something like that. And they would do, um, I remember having some book bub deals, uh, especially with the last four books I wrote for them. They would do that. Um, there was some like Amazon deals they may do and they would, you know, they just did kind of their social media. I still had to like do my part. Um, it was, it wasn't Instagram. It was just like Twitter and Facebook at the time <laughs> and blogging. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and I, as soon as I decided I wanted to write, I like joined RWA at the time. I went to different writer workshops and conferences and I immediately, even though I didn't have a book out, I started blogging. I got on Twitter, I got on Facebook and I tried to regularly put out content so that even if I didn't have a huge audience, at least some people knew who I was and I had something yeah. kind of out there. And so I just kind of started that way. And ebook first was very indie adjacent, especially back in 2010, 2012. And so it was a little bit easy to kind of flow between the indie side and you're not quite traditionally published. So you can still use some of those same channels and efforts that indie publishers, indie authors would do to kind of get the word out about your books. But um, I felt like Crimson really supported me because they they would put my books on their website. They would use it on their social media and they would do some advertising for it. But it was still, you got to figure out how to let people know who you are in these streets. (laughs) Yes. Take us back to this time. What Mm -hmm. did the world of romance publishing look like when you were entering into it? It it, today is better. <laughs> it's much better than what it was then. But again, because I didn't have the horror stories that some other people have, I did realize that publishing was very, um, not very diverse. It was, you know, you weren't sure. I didn't even think I wrote the kind of books Harlequin would even want. You know, when I back mm-hmm. then, I thought, oh, I didn't even even think about Harlequin in 2010, 2012. Because I'm like, Harlequin doesn't want me. Even like yeah. the Kamani line they had before I wrote for them. I'm like, they don't want my books. I think they rejected the first book that I sent over there and that Crimson took. So it was kind of like, I didn't feel like traditional publishing was really kind of into my messy, small town, you know, kind of regular old Black people stories or whatnot. But I felt like RWA at the time and other writing organizations was a good place for me to go and just learn how to be a better writer, how to promote my books, how to network. Um, some of my writing friends that I have now, most of them come from those connections I made in those early days, either from Crimson or RWA. Um, and so I think because I never went into it thinking I'm going to be some huge New York Times bestselling author, I just kind of went into it to be like, as long as somebody will take these books and edit them for me and put them out there, I'm good. <laughs> <Kind of laughs> um, they don't want what I write. That's cool. I'll learn what I can from them. I'll figure out, you know, how to develop characters. I'll figure out how to plot. I'll figure out how to market. I'll I'll take the information and I'll use it to my advantage. Never with the expectation that I'm going to be one of their darling authors or anything like that. So, so I think that's kind of, that's how I viewed it and that's how I entered it. And so even though a lot of people would be very upset and angry about the state of publishing, I was always like, they don't want me. So why I'm getting mad, I'm just going to do my thing and not get into the hype. And I do that a lot with life. 
I'm just kind of like, not my, not my circus, not my monkey. So I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to take the information that I need and use it for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's different now. It's, it feels like some publishers are wanting, obviously my stories, but um, it's, it's gotten a little bit better. I think there's still work to do, but it's gotten better. Definitely. In 2016, you released A Malibu Kind of Romance, your first Harlequin Kamani romance. Can you tell us about your journey to becoming a Harlequin author? All right. Yeah. So my first Harlequin, actually, I had one right before that. Um, a New York Kind of Love was okay. with Kamani. And so that journey, like I just, I told you, I just said, oh, Harlequin doesn't want me. They don't, I don't, you know, their stories are too perfect. Like, and I don't write perfect people. Um, that was my thought back in like 2010-ish, 2015-ish. And they had a competition or something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was just like, pitch idea, see if it works. And me being, you know, extra and silly, Sinethia, I was like, I'm going to come up with my whole fantasy story and I'm just going to send it to them. I bet you they say yes. Like, it was like this whole joke in my mind. Like, I'm going to send this Idris Elba fan fiction fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Send it. Okay. Right? (laughs) And that's what a New York kind of love was. It was this nurse from South Carolina who wins this fantastic weekend in New York with this hot actor from England and they fall in love. I'm like, yeah, let's go all out. Just foolishness. And they were like, hey, we want this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I knew it, but for real? Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> so I was kind of, that's how it happened. And, and it was just, I think it was just that first book was the first contract. And then they came um, with another contract. And that was Malibu was the next one. Um, and I'd given my, um, gosh, I can't even remember the hero's name from that first book. I'm so horrible. But I'd given my fantasy Idris um, a couple of friends. And then I was like, oh, well, I can just, you know, write a story with his friends and just, you know, that's kind of how I do. I may not think of a series or back then, the first book I may not think of as a series, but then I would turn it into a series if they were interested to write more books. And so that was the Malibu story. And I remember his name, Dante, um, is the R&B singer. And that was a story that, you know, I was submitting for contests and just like, huh, whatever. They don't, we'll see what happens. And it actually finaled in the readers, a Malibu kind of romance. And I was like, hold up, what? My book? Are you serious? <laughs> You've seen the cover. You know, I mean, I was having fun writing it, but that one's for real. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't win, but I was just still. The fact that it finaled. Right. I'm just like. I mean, and your whole attitude of like, whatever, I'm just going to be like super extra and just throw caution to the wind. And they're like, look how incredible this is. And you're like, what? <laughs> right. I'm just like. I wasn't expecting that with this. I didn't try harder with that book. You know, I was just, you know, having fun with these stories and submitting for contests. You know, when I first started writing and trying to be published, I submitted for contests for feedback, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was a lot of the contests that um, judges would tell you what they thought. And sometimes it would suck because it would hurt. And sometimes it was good. So, you know, it's shifting through what was good. So I would submit to the readers because, hey, let's see what my scores look like. Let's see what I get back. Um, and when that final, when I got that call, I was at work in a staff meeting of all things. Uh, when I got the call about that and I just was stunned. And I remember saying, yeah, my book just finaled in a really big contest. <laughs> my boss was like, oh, that's great. Congratulations. And I'm like, I'm still in shock. But <laughs> I feel like that's the opening chapter to a future book. That is a good Aspiring idea. Aspiring romance <laughs> yeah. author in a staff meeting. 
<laughs> my phone is buzzing. <laughs> Just saying, we'd that read it. That's a please. great idea. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've I've always wanted this life, but it still just feels feels surreal that like I, I really write romance novels and people actually read it and like people like you actually want to talk to me about it. Like, we're, we're, what reality yeah. is this? So I still feel like that a lot. That girl at the flea market is now writing yes. the books. Yes, <laughs> right? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> Well, much congratulations on your Harlequin special edition yes. debut. Thank Incredible you. summoning up love, which is book <laughs> one in your new Heart and Soul series. Please tell our listeners what the series is about and what they can expect from summoning up love. Cool. So summoning up love is another kind of Cynthia was just like tweeting out into the world. And then I did it. I, I, I love the series. I love these brothers. <laughs> I was, um, so it's about three brothers who um, do paranormal investigations. They investigate ghosts, but they all have like regular day jobs. They do other stuff. And this is kind of like their side hustle. And so you watch them in the series go from doing paranormal investigations as a side hustle to trying to turn that into a reality television show and how they kind of grow in that. And in the first book, you have the, the heroine, Vanessa. She's a reporter in Atlanta who just lost her job. And then her boyfriend was just like, my horoscope said I shouldn't make commitments. Let's break up. And so she. <laughs> I love that you were extra with him because I was like, usually this is the woman that's very like into the horoscope. <laughs> it was him. No, it was him. He was like, hey, my horoscope said I shouldn't keep this going. So <laughs> yeah, it says I shouldn't be committing to anything today. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what? <laughs> Done because of that? So she goes um, to her grandmother's house. Her grandmother owns some beach houses in a fictional town in South Carolina, beachside town. And when she gets there, grandma's like, hey, your grandpa's haunting the house. I invited Livingston boys over to kind of check it out and see what's going on. And then as a reporter, she's like, what is this mess? No, ma'am. Who are these scammers trying to get my grandmother? <laughs> and so her trying to prove that they're not real and him trying to prove, hey, we're just trying to help your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Shenanigans ensue. And then, you know, they, they come together and, and, and fall in love. And so that's that's kind of like what summoning up love is about. And I got the whole idea for the series watching the Travel Channel one night. I was watching Ghost Brothers. Yeah. It's the first time I'd ever seen yep. it. And I was like, who are these people? This is amazing. <laughs> and I think I tweeted it out. I was like, somebody write their romance novel. And then I was like, you oh, had to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, when I started it, like I messaged Aaron and I was like, so I watched this show called Ghost Brothers and I feel like this book is inspired by just because like I've watched paranormal TV since high school and it's never had any black investigators. So your immediate thought is, is this them? And then it's like three brothers. And I'm like, okay, Marcus, Juwan, Dalen. (laughs) I was so excited. I was like, I love them. So thank you, you know, for like just catering to my little nerdy heart. (laughs) That was me. I was on the couch like, who are these guys? This is fantastic. This will make a perfect romance novel. (laughs) And we were were geeking out, Erin. We were like, we're just so happy that Special Edition like let this happen. (laughs) Oh, yeah. 
it's so it, refreshing. It was the same thing. I wrote this pitch thinking, ah, let's see what happens, right? <laughs> and again, I I did not expect it to be Harlequin that would say yes. I had another publisher who wanted it, but they wanted to change the story. Like, let's turn this into a rom-com and let's change the beginning and all of that. And I'm and I was thinking about it, but then I realized I kind of want to keep the story as it is. I had done that with another publisher, another book. And I was like, I don't, I just got out of that situation. So let's not do it. And when um when Gail came back with special edition, I was like, oh, I love this. Let's do it. And no, we're not gonna make you rewrite it. I'm just like, are you serious? Like for real? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, great yes I love it let's do this and and then it just turned out great she's loved the series with each book she sends like a message saying how glad she is the series in special edition how she just loves the brothers and the story which just makes me love it even more that you know they still appreciate it so yeah I'm just like so excited that <laughs> Yeah, but it had, you know, you say they wanted to turn it into a rom-com, but I feel like it had the the perfect balance of, of comedy in it. Um, that Those beginning few chapters were just so fun. Like you said, yeah. the hijinks. I mean, it just, you're, you're stuck. You're finishing the book when you read those first few chapters because yeah. it's just so fun. That's how I felt. Like, I, I don't try to be rom-com-y. I don't try to be, like, extra funny. But I didn't want to lean hard into trying to be funny. I'm like, let me just kind of... I think it will naturally come out. The stuff that's supposed to be funny and the stuff that's supposed to be serious. And I didn't want to have, I felt like if I tried hard to be funny, to turn this into like a rom-com funny, that I wouldn't be able to do it right. Maybe one day in the future, I will be ready to tackle that. But at that time, I wasn't in the headspace. But I did feel like it had enough humor and heart um, that it could kind of stand as it was. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Well, Dion, our male main character in Summoning Up Love, is part of a ghost hunting group with his brothers, like you said. And again, we're so happy to see this kind of thing in special edition. So can you share with us your relationship with ghosty things? Uh, You know, when did you become interested in, you know, the ghost hunting shows or just the the paranormal investigating and and all things, all things ghostly? Well, I've always kind of believed in ghosts. I've never had like a encounter as I would say but I've always been like oh I think I don't know but maybe that's not true I've always believed in ghosts and I've always been like is that is something else here you know kind of thing but I'm you know I haven't had a scary encounter let me say that you know that's made me be like run um just like I you know I believe in aliens and all that other jazz like I'm just that's that my brain and the science part of me thinking this whole universe yeah this is there's something else out there right um and I like paranormal shows I love paranormal romance I love paranormal TV shows. I will, if it has any kind of magic, you know, I'm lost. I will watch. I remember Merlin from um, the, that English show. I was loving it. You know, Supernatural, Those Brothers. Oh, yeah. Sam and Dean. Sam and oh Dean. God. Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> the um, black car. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love them. Um, so I've always been in it. always believed in ghosts um, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, if I go Charleston, Savannah, Georgetown, you know, let's do the ghost tours. Let's kind of hear that stuff. You know, I don't investigate them. I'm not going out to be like, hey, this is evil spirit here. Let's go figure it out. No, I'm not doing that. But, you know, <laughs> I'll do the tour and, and hear about it. Um, so, and I want to hopefully one day, like, write a full-fledged kind of paranormal type romance. So this was me, like, dipping my toe in it a little bit. But I've always believed in that. And that I think that made it easier to even write their story because I do believe that, you know, 
there may be ghosts out there. There may be spirits. And so it just made it a little bit easier to say, this is a full-fledged paranormal. It's not a ghost mm-hmm. story. You know, it's yeah. still a small town romance. It's still the brothers, it's family relationships and all that. But it just has that sprinkling of, hey, they just happen to investigate ghosts. And because they do that, ghosts are going to be kind of like a background part of the story. And so that's kind of my relationship to it. Yeah. And I think that there's something about, because I lived in Tennessee in high school. And then I, when I joined the military, I was in Georgia for seven years. And I mean, the South is pretty creepy at night in general. (laughs) (laughs) And Savannah is literally my favorite city in America. But um, there is, I think Southerners have like a, they definitely believe in it. And there's a respect for it as well, I think. And I think that you really captured that in the book. Like everybody, but Vanessa is cool with this, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of adds to the comedy of it. Everybody's looking yeah. at her like, you don't believe right. <laughs> Get this girl out of Waffle House, please. Right. <laughs> And I just loved it. It was like those subtle moments definitely bought the comedic aspect. It's like, girl, like we believe in that. We just, you don't, not everybody goes and chases them. Right. They exist. We acknowledge it. We respect it. Do your ghostly thing while we're over here living life. <laughs> right. I mean, you grow up with the, oh, you know, uh, the spirit riding you are, you know, doing this, you know, superstitious or, you know, grandma, auntie went to the, you know, people over here to figure out how to handle the situation. But we're not taking you. You can't be a part of it. It's just kind of, it was just part of my background growing up. I was never really in it. I'm not like a witchy person or whatnot, but it was part of the background. It was part of the, oh, oh, well, something's not right with auntie. We need to go over here and talk to this person and they'll give us what we need to do and bring it back. And it worked, yeah. you know, kind of thing. It was, that was, that was just kind of part of the background. So it is true. It's that respect for it. And then I was the kid, you know, in the South, you have the church and the cemetery is usually right beside it. I'm the kid after church. I'm walking through the cemetery. I'm reading the headstones. I'm imagining the people. I'm, you know, wondering who they are. And I still do that. You know, if I'm like, oh, there's a cemetery. Let me kind of walk through it and see what's going on. So you're right. There is like that. It, it may not be in your face every day but it's that respect for the fact of hey there's other things going on everything isn't just black and white and science and so let's just have a respect for that well one of our favorite characters is miss arletha (laughs) i love her (laughs) Uh, but especially like her her determination to find her lost wedding ring yes what inspired that part of the story for her so as I was writing it, I was like, how messy do I want to be? Do I want her to have like a bad reason for him to be back? And then I thought, no, I don't want it to be a bad reason that, you know, she feels like he's there. And I wanted to lean more into the the family, the love, the togetherness kind of thing. Because I didn't know when I started the story, I'm like, if he's haunting the place, why is he there? You know, what mm-hmm. reason does he have to stay there? Other than, hey, I just want to knock around stuff and let you know I'm here. So as I was developing her story and kind of thinking about what their life would have been like, and in my mind, you know, he's never on the page, obviously, but in my mind, they had like that same playful, quirky relationship, you know, they ran the bed and breakfast together, they did stuff together, and, you know, they would be silly with each other. And so the the thought of, you know, he hiding it from her or him, you know, you always misplace your stuff, so I'm going to tease you about it, you know? 
kind of thing. That's kind of what inspired that thought. And I just wanted it to be a heartwarming, a good reason for him to still be around and not something tragic or sad that was going to make the reader cry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Southern setting truly feels like another character in the book. What advice would you give an aspiring writer on vividly capturing a sense of place? Um... Wow. It's always funny when I get these questions because I still feel like it's 2010 and Sneak is just starting to write books. And who am I to give advice? But I think especially with Summoning Up Love, it is the little subtle things. You know, I'm obviously a lot of my books are set in the South. I'm from the South. And it's the guys who work at Public Works or wherever. They meet up for breakfast someplace. You know, old guys meet up at the Hardee's. You know, you may meet up at the Waffle House. My husband has retirement plans to meet up with his friends at Bojangles when he retires. It's like, it's just- Yes. <laughs> it's like it's legit part of what we do so i think it's those little small things like the breakfast in the mornings at the waffle house it's just something that they do and then you have a sense of community because everybody's there every morning it's the mm-hmm. people knowing who you are and knowing your name um it's i think i think it's just that it's a little small subtle things of what makes it what is it like to live in that small town what is it like to meet up every morning for breakfast um and then you know the the senses I, i'm working on that you know what is it what's the weather like you know the storms the the sunny days you know what is the um the humidity when it's hot i put that in a lot of books that i write the horrible humidity that we have down here because it's definitely a character (laughs) it's definitely a character and if i'm writing a book in a different location like a malibu kind of romance and i'm you know at the time had never been to california i will do stuff like go to youtube videos of people who actually live there not talking about the city but just like general background of life and hear how they talk and hear how they refer to things and then try to remember that as I'm writing a book in a setting in a location I've never been you know how do they refer to their local interstate how do they refer to the grocery store do they call it a buggy or a shop cart you know that kind of stuff um so you just put those little small things in it you don't have to beat people over the head with it because I think if you just sprinkle it in everybody kind of gets it well we know we have two more Livingston brothers who we hope to see the you know in the rest of the series is there anything you can share about where the series goes after summoning up love well um they do and you know it's not really kind of a spoilerish thing but you you see them go from the side hustle to the now people know who you are you know we're not just helping okay. yeah. the lady next door with doing this now you know we're having this television show and what does that look like how does that affect their life um you'll still see some paranormal investigations i'm excited about the one in the next book and i'm ex- i'm curious about the response to that one in the next book. which i think is an august release right it so we don't have to wait too release. long okay right right and so with that one and this isn't a spoiler it's in the very first chapter you know you're dealing with a haunted former plantation right okay. so so that's <laughs> You so are really going for it. In this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, if you're going to write a series in the South, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. Um, but again, it's, it's the feel of that is going to be similar to summoning in the fact that the ghost story is kind of part of the background but the real story is the two people coming together it's their relationship it's them making it work while they also try to figure out why we can't sell this house because it's haunted what what's going on over here so it's it's the same thing and that's what the rest of the series will be about the, the if there's paranormal investigation it's always kind of in the background you may see it a little bit but the relationship between the hero and heroine is the main focus of the story so that's yeah. that's yeah. what you'll see so wesley is next and then 
Tyrone, the hothead, is the last one. Um, and he is so ridiculous. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless his heart. But yes, <laughs> I love it. It's, it's, I think it's Tyrone in the in summoning of love. It's one of the brothers. It's like you invited her, you deal with her. And I was yeah. like, yes, that would have been me. <laughs> that is dealing him. with Vanessa. <laughs> That is him. Like, I don't have time for this. You deal with her. The youngest brother, the, hey, I'm going to make this work. And, you know, he was the hustler. He's the one who got the producer interested in him. So it's like seeing my enemies necessary. How can I keep this hustle going? And that's kind of what, what Tyrone's story is. Like, how do I keep, I can't mess up this, what we got built. How do I keep this going? And that one is titled Counterfeit Courtship. So that can give you kind of an idea of what to expect with, with, no, with Tyrone. <laughs> So exciting. Yeah. Well, are you ready to start some round out questions? Sure, let's do it. What is one book you wish you could experience reading again for the first time? Oh my gosh, it's probably, uh, there's several, but I would say for romance, it's probably a Nalini Singh book, um, Heart of Obsidian. God, Caleb Krychek is my book boyfriend forever. So I almost wish I could experience that one over again. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I need to step up my Nalini Singh game and I, finally read her, period, because I have not read anything by her. Yeah, yeah, yeah same. It's a strange thing. I don't think my local library has a single book by her, which oh, wow. seems oh. very odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you have, this... like, really good luck <laughs> with books where you yeah. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, besides reading, what was one of your teenage obsessions? Oh, so I was a nerd. So probably like watching documentaries. I remember spending an entire weekend watching a whole documentary on the last czar of Russia you know, that kind of weird stuff. Um, documentaries on archaeology. I wanted to be a paleontologist. I wanted to be an anthropologist, all that stuff. So yeah, that was my other thing about how it's going to live this fabulous life traveling the world, researching. And I'm still in South Carolina, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you still watch them? Do you still watch them now? Are they still loves of yours? I still watch them when I catch them, but now I'm like so on streaming. You know, it was that's what yeah. I miss about like just cable. You could flip channels and this awesome. I did get wrapped up in a documentary about Ulysses S. Grant the other weekend, and I was like, "This is great! I haven't done this in forever." Documentary day, you know. So I'm just I'm still that weird. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I learned like last month that Apple TV, which I have never watched before, but they're doing an entire week of like prehistoric planet Earth. And I was like telling my husband, I was like, please tell me we have Apple TV. He's like, yes, we have it. So like a whole month ago, I like planned this week. I'm doing nothing. So just saying for your docuseries loving heart. It's coming on like the last week of May. (laughs) I will be watching that. Thank you very much. Early bird or night owl? What time of the day do you prefer to write? Night owl. I've always written at nine o'clock at night. I started when my kids would go to bed. Their bedtime was like eight o'clock and I would write at nine. Now I do try to write some in the morning. I'll get up early, especially under deadline. Um, And it goes well, but I still am. My brain will start kicking in. It'll be 10 o'clock. It's time to go to bed and I'm getting in the groove. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, are you a plotter or a pantser? I am a plotter. Um, I started off as a pantser, but plotting really helps, especially since I have a day job um, and the family and I like going out with friends I need to know where I'm going um the book I'm currently writing I sat down last night and I kind of wrote out the last six scenes so I can make sure if I sit down to write 
I know this is the scene. This is what's happening. And I don't have to, you know, think about it a lot. So plotting really helps me stay on track and meet deadlines. What is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Yo, that I was like, I rant about a lot of stuff, but I was trying to think of what's my hill <laughs> that I would die on because I, I have a lot of rants. But um, I'll, I'll go with, you know, be yourself, which I know is cliche and cheesy, but at the age of 42, and I don't care telling how old I am, I'm finally really, really coming into who is Sanithia. What do I like? What will I not compromise? Standing up for myself and saying what I want. And gosh, yo, figure, do that. To have that mindfulness, stand up for yourself so early on. Your discomfort is not worth making somebody else comfortable, you know? Right. And it's yeah. it takes some, it took me a long time to realize that. And so the faster people can accept that, the world will not end when you're like, hey, that makes me uncomfortable and I'm not sitting for this. The, yeah. the sun will continue to rise. Yep. So that's, that's my heel. Yeah. I don't think that's cliche at all. Thank you for that hill. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, what is one of the t- toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? Um, the toughest pieces of advice that I've received. And I'm trying to, I was trying to think of like a writing example of the toughest piece of advice. It can be writing, life, whatever you want. Writing. Oh, okay. So, well, then if we go with just life, it is, um, I have offhand comments, <laughs> right? And so it's staying <laughs> on track when you're trying to make a point and not throwing in the, the flipping. I, I didn't realize that I did that. I thought it was adding to the conversation. Um, and then, but sometimes it just kind of derails the conversation. <laughs> I love it. Part of learning more about yourself. Yes. <laughs> is accepting that like, oh, that is not always cute. Okay. I will remember that. <laughs> Govern myself accordingly. <laughs> I swear these have like been some of the best answers to these questions. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your career? You know what? It doesn't, people do want your story and just and write the story that you want to write. I did that thinking no one wanted it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I wrote the story that I wanted to read thinking that no one really wanted to read it. It was just, hey, let's write it and see what happens. Somebody wants to read it. Um, yeah. Getting to the person that wants to read it may not be easy. I'm not even going to pretend like you're going to write the story and everybody's going to be like, this is fantastic. I've been waiting my whole life. But somebody does want to read it. And I think maybe I would have, I don't know what I would have done different. Maybe I would have just had a little bit more confident faith in my career. Maybe I, I kind of approached my writing career as, oh, I'm just going to do this and nothing's going to happen with it. And then it just kind of rolled into 20 books later and I'm still writing and I'm writing more books and getting contracts. Um, I think I may have approached my career with a little bit more structure if I would have been like, I'm writing this because I have a story to tell and people want to read it. And how am I going to get the story out there? Versus I'm writing this. I don't think anybody wants it, but I'm just going to do this thing called writing and see what happens. I I would have approached my career differently. Well, like putting, thinking of just everything that we've talked about, you, you know, grew up in a small town where you didn't have a bookstore. So you weren't seeing you, you you know, a lot of authors will say like, I didn't see books with characters that looked like me, but you literally like didn't have a bookstore to go to, you know? And then when you were pursuing it, you know, you probably didn't see much. I mean, we, we chatted with author Belle Calhoun recently who came into publishing in 2012 and she's like, it was very segregated. So that was around, that's the same time. And so 
it really makes sense that you would have felt the way that you felt, but it's, you know, you're here now and you can share that journey of just like have more confidence in yourself. You know, people want to read those books. And I just imagine us as readers would have been like, well, nobody's writing books with characters that look like me. And you're the author that's like, I want to write this book, but like, they don't want me in publishing. It's that connection. It's finding the way to make that connection, you know? So I just have totally inspired by your journey. So thank you for sharing everything that you shared with us today. Oh, yeah. Thank thank you. you. Thank you so much. Yes, it is. It is different. And there's so many ways to get your story out there now. And they're not all easy, no matter what route you take. It's not easy to get your story out there, but there is a home for it. And just that being yourself and saying what you want to say and, you know, going for what you want to go for. Buying the tiara and the kimono just because, yes. you know, <laughs> do it. and then yeah. put it on your character in the story. It's it's all good. You yes. know, just, just go for it. Yeah. Plan the retirement party at Bojangles, people. Thank <laughs> you. Yes. <laughs> Well, lastly, where can everyone keep up with you online? So I am, my website is SanithiaWilliams.com and I have a pop-up for my newsletter. So once a month, I tell you what I'm doing and I tell you what I'm working on and I tell you what's coming out and I try to do a giveaway. So that's a consistent thing. And then I'm on social media, mostly on Twitter, having a K-drama, C-drama <laughs> meltdown because some story has ripped my heart out. Um, are just tweeting random ridiculousness. And I'm on Instagram, you know, posting about my books. My Instagram stories are, again, probably K-pop meltdowns. So just be aware <laughs> Meltdowns. Yeah. This <laughs> total, why is he like this? You know, why is he doing this to me? Yeah, total meltdown. So if you like silly ridiculousness, go to my stories. Um, and... I was on TikTok and then I'm like, yo, this is time suck. So go look at some of my ridiculous videos that I posted there. But until I get out of deadline, I probably won't post any more foolishness over there for a while. But (laughs) there is lots of fun and shenanigans to be had on my TikTok, even with the few videos that I have up there right now. So that's where that's where people can find me. All righty. Well, we will have all of that listed below as well as all of the places that people can go find your books. Listeners, go get your hands on copies of Sinithia Williams's books. You have to read Summoning Up Love. I mean, you have to. (laughs) Please come back. I mean, come back. Is is the third book releasing this year or is it going to be like a 2023 release? Oh man, that's a good question. Cause I, I haven't looked at the date. I, it may be late this year or early 2023. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause Wesley's story is August. So it may be late of this year, but I'll, I'll, it's coming soon. It's okay. done. It's turned in. I'm waiting on it. Well, yeah. <laughs> please come back when the when we wrap up the series. Please come back so we can wrap up wrap it up together. Please. <laughs> yes, we can talk about Tyrone's foolishness. <laughs> all right, listeners. Well, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have all the places you can keep up with Cynthia Williams and Aaron. And I will chat with you in our next episode. Have a lovely day, everybody. Thank you for listening. 